Adonis Creed faces his very own Killmonger. I am the last manager of the last video store in the universe, and I am coming to you with my instant reaction for Creed 3. Does Creed win the big fight? Is there a big fight at all? What's going on with his daughter? What's going on with Bianca and her hearing? Does Rocky Balboa make an appearance? And if so, does he die? You will find out in the spoiler portion of this instant reaction, which will happen in the second half of whatever this ramble is going to be. By ramble, I mean the galaxy brain rambling instant reaction. I just left the theater and I'm trying to piece it all together that I do. The voodoo that I do, that only I do, all these instant reactions, I put a poll up at Binge Movies on Twitter, at Binge Movies Lives on Instagram, but I put up the poll up on Twitter, and I asked folks, do you want just the facts of the movie, or do you like the galaxy brain rambles? And with an astounding vote of exactly one person, they said ramble. So that's what you're going to get. Because that's the last time I checked it. Now, there might be more votes now, but I'm not going to go back and look. I'm going to give you the ramble. Probably. Okay. In 2015, there was a um, Star Wars reboot, and the primary question the audience was asking the entire time is, where is Luke Skywalker? He is the hero of the film. This is the film series that takes place after Return of the Jedi. This is what we've been waiting for as a worldwide global audience of both casual fans and Star Wars freaks. I say that with affection. Since the 80s, right? And yes, there's been extended universes and video games and books and comic books and twins and uh, Sith wives and all this sort of stuff. But <clears throat> ultimately, we've, we want to see a movie. We want to see what Luke has been. What are they going to incorporate? What are they not? Where is he going to be? Where is Luke Skywalker? Yes, new characters. Yes, this. Yes, this. But where's Luke? And knowing that we would ask that question, they made that question the central mystery of their little mystery box movie. And the Creed series is a offshoot, is a reboot, it's a legacy reboot. I think it's probably the gold standard um, at this time for this trend of films. It certainly has aged better than The Force Awakens. I think it has a better sequel than The Last Jedi in Creed 2. Creed 2 is a movie I'm deeply conflicted about because it has story elements and moments that I love and it has something in it that's lacking which I think comes down to probably maybe a little too much Stallone it felt like a little bit like a clash of worlds it feels like the clash of of Coogler and Stallone is felt in that movie or I should say I guess it's, it's like Coogler's Brian and his brother uh in Stallone where it felt like a perfect perfect meshing in the first film it felt, it felt a little bit more at odds in the second film and that was my trepidation going into this film is, is the entire time I'm going to be thinking, where is Rocky if he doesn't show up? Um, and how is the movie going to handle the absence of that? For those that don't know, Sylvester Stallone is currently in a rights dispute with the studio and in particular the Chartoffs. Uh, Charles and Irwin, I think Irwin is the son or Irwin is the father and Charles, I don't know, it's a father and son production duo. Um, who are responsible for getting the original Rocky films, or maybe it's their father. I don't know. But someone in that lineage is responsible for getting the original Rocky series off the ground when Stallone was a, a little known, just kind of a nobody actor who had done some porn and whatever else. You know, he'd done Paradise Alley or whatever else. So <clears throat> when you say, hey, I wrote a screenplay, and they're like, this is a great screenplay. And I'm like, I, and you're like, I know but I'm not going to sell it to you if you put Robert Redford or James Caan or, uh, uh, you know, um, Reynolds in it. I'm only going to sell it to you if you put me in it. I want you to put Burt Reynolds in it. And I want you to put Paul Newman in it. I'm, I'm Rocky. <laughs> Don't be an SER kid. I know. Okay, well, all the major studios passed. It becomes this independent production and goes on to win the Academy Award for Best Picture comes one of the highest grossing movies of the year. And now here we are about 50 years later with nine of these movies, seven, six in the main continuity and three uh, offshoots, uh, two of which are deeply in the Rocky continuity. 
And so this one has reoccurring Rocky characters as well. Um, and the interesting thing about these films, and, and it's really hard to, to rate these movies. One, because I have a soft spot for them that I developed later in life. I, I absorbed them via osmosis. These were not popular films in my household with my dad, for instance, who's a, a, a major shape, I guess, in, in, directly and indirectly on how I think about movies and what I like about movies and the types of movies I like and my hopeless addiction to movies. Um, but he didn't like the Rocky films. I wouldn't say dislike them, but they just weren't anything in particularly special. He would, they're on TV in a marathon. He's probably going to find something else to watch or he'll watch a little bit of it and maybe make fun of it and move on. Some of the more ludicrous Rocky films, whereas I absorbed it all. I watched every single one of them and it didn't matter if it was more of the over the top cartoon propaganda uh, or whether or not it was the more serious 70s new Hollywood style films or whether it was kind of sad, broken down early 2000s independent cinema that Rocky Balboa ends up being. Uh, I really don't care for Rocky Five, but Rocky Five has some great moments in it. If you want to know my full and extended thoughts about the Rocky series, I did like a multi-hour podcast with Richard Jackson from YouTube. You might remember him from uh, a, a Fairly popular YouTube channel. He left with Duncan Casey and he started their own a number of years ago, Valverde Broadcasting. And when he's not busy with the Clooney's, that's no joke. He uh, occasionally appears on binge movies. So um, we did that, I think, a couple of years ago now. So you should be able to find that in the archives. Uh, make sure you subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those great places. You can go back and listen to the back catalog. There's great episodes like that one in particular. It's very, very good. Um. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so the challenge with these movies is it's really hard to rate them because yes, I have a soft spot for them, but also because essentially what they are is every few years or four five, two, three, five years, sometimes every 20 years, sometimes every 10 years, you know, some length of time we re-engage this world or this world comes back to us. And we figure out where the characters have been. We learn something more about their past. We learn something more about their interior life and the drama of the moment of whatever it is they're currently living through. And like real life, it's a series of ups and downs. There's always a crisis. Somebody's doing excellent. Somebody else is not doing excellent. Um, and we just walk through that with them. And then the fight that takes place or fights, but ultimately the, pen the ultimate fight of the film that takes place, physical boxing match or street fight, it takes place, is this sort of visceral um, ballet that sums up the human drama that the movies have been telling all along the way. Sometimes, again, that human drama is very cartoony, and sometimes the human drama is very real and very grounded, very heartfelt. It's very sincere, and it's very like, it'll mess you up. And um, <clears throat> so, the, you know, it's a metaphor within a metaphor. Because the, the, the movies are a metaphor for our life and our experience. And that's what the great baby faces, if I can use that term, whether it be of cinema or sport or professional wrestling or whatever, fiction. The great baby faces, what they embody is the, the, the ideal self. They embody for us the people we wish we were. The people of valor, the people of courage, the people of integrity, the people of with a moral compass, the people who may lose their way, but they find their way back. The people who are down and out and hurting and suffering, but rise again and again to meet the challenge. And who are ultimately victorious, even if they lose the fight, or ultimately victorious, even if all the odds are against them, because of grit, determination, and because of character. That's really what a lot of this boils down to is that baby faces and Rocky is, I think, the ultimate baby face of all baby faces of all time and will never be topped. I think he is the single greatest protagonist in film history. And yes, this is Adonis' story, but Adonis is a character who's attempting to be in that lineage for a new generation and for potentially a new audience, both globally, culturally, so forth and so on. But what makes him a babyface 
is that they teach us or that they inspire us, they cast a vision for us, whatever language you want to use, that it isn't might, it isn't power, it isn't wealth, it isn't affluence that empowers you to overcome. It is belief. It is integrity. It is character. That character matters most. It's not who the better boxer is. And sometimes the only thing in life that you're good at is taking a beating. But if you can stand there and you can take the beating that life wants to give you and keep progressing in life, you win. That's it. It's as simple as that. Somehow, from the first movie, and in all the best movies, and even in some of the worst movies of this series, Stallone has translated that concept into screenwriting prose poetry. Where Rocky almost acts at times as like a holy fool, right? He acts as if he acts as the wizened fool, where you don't expect for him to say these deeply philosophical things. It's 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 so hard for us to even understand it because there's so many things, so many quotes from Rocky, so many ideas from Rocky that made their way into the culture from these movies and through all of the many imitators of Rocky that have come that were like, oh, well, that's just a cliche. But it's like, yeah, it didn't that cliche didn't exist until Sylvester Stallone typed it on a typewriter. You know, you, it became cliche because it spoke to everybody. So, like, that's kind of the weighty, the weightiness of these movies, even though they are pop cinema, by and large. The weightiness of it is it has to inspire that in you. If the movie doesn't inspire that feeling in you of get up, you son of a bitch, because you're loved then the movie's a failure. If it doesn't speak to all people, all races, all genders, all nationalities, all sexual identities, all religious backgrounds or lack thereof, and inspire you with hope, it doesn't really matter. The movie failed. You know, um, if it doesn't, and, and the thing is you cannot have a great baby face without a great heel. And a, and a heel, like the, the secret to a great antagonist is, or a great heel in anything. And I've played a heel, <laughs> sometimes unknowingly, is that the heel always believes they're right. And the real secret, the real secret of the really good antagonist is sometimes they're right by the letter, but they're wrong by the spirit. Darth Vader, <coughs> think about the Star Wars. It, he, when they, when he says, "Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son." Right? What does he say that he wants? He's like, "We can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy." He's not just saying that to deceive Luke. Vader's constant motivation throughout that series is power for the purpose of order. There is suffering in the galaxy. If I have all the power, I can control all the suffering. Which is something the prequels tried to like unpack and go, okay, this is how this got planted in his psychology. And this is how this idea undid him as a man. And this is how like these, these ideas grow into fascistic belief systems that undo us as human beings. And like, that's what Lucas is trying to do. He's just did not do a good job of it. <laughs> I don't think. But the point is, Vader has a point of view. He's right from a particular certain point of view. He's right. He's right. Yeah, there's a big old boogeyman behind him, whatever. But he's like, I have to use power. I have to use power to help people. Or help people is probably not the way he would put it, but to bring order, to bring stability, to bring balance. Thanos. Thanos, I think, is a great pop culture antagonist. What's Thanos' argument? 
their children suffering. While heroes are punching people through buildings and the gods are preoccupied with wherever the fuck the gods are preoccupied with, we're down here suffering. And I was raised on a planet of suffering. I've seen it. That's why he walks into a place and adopts a, a child. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. Now, he also tortures one of the other daughters because he is also evil, right? Because it's a good idea that has become twisted and corrupted within a broken person. It's a truth that becomes broken and twisted and perverted instead of a broken person. That makes the great. That makes a great antagonist. Every once in a while, you can get a great antagonist who, like, um, no country for old men, who is just a force of nature. There is no explanation. There is no backstory. There is there is no point of view. You know, Michael Myers to some extent. But again, there's a limitation there with those characters. Jason Voorhees. There's a limitation there, right? Even Jason is like kind of somewhere more in the middle because it's like. Well, he's a he's a, a a disabled child, maybe depending on what version you're watching. You know, he's, he's a child with special needs, who was like traumatized. The Rocky movies always hinge on, even in their most crude form, how compelling is the antagonist, how compelling is the heel, how badly do you want to see the baby face? Kick the heel's ass. It doesn't matter if it's 25 montages or one montage. It doesn't matter if there's laser lights or no laser lights. Doesn't matter if there's if if Vince, whatever his name is, doing the soundtrack and it sounds like goddamn Transformers, or whether or not it's Bill Conti. It that, that stuff can change and fluctuate with the time. It the brand name on the gloves doesn't matter. Whether whether it's HBO boxing or Showtime boxing or Days In or pay-per-view, doesn't matter. Whether it's a Don King pastiche or a Muhammad Ali ripoff character, it doesn't matter. Or a white Mike Tyson, doesn't matter. What all boils down to is, doesn't matter if Adrian's pregnant, Adrian has got cancer, Adrian's dead, Polly's an alcoholic, Polly wants to sleep with his sister, Polly is a bum, it doesn't matter. What it all boils down to is, does the baby face have heart? Do you believe the emotional life of your baby face. Do you see yourself in them? And do you want to see that baby face kick the shit, beat the shit out of the heel? And if you throw in the extra wrinkle of, and I saw, I kind of see myself in the heel too, then you got a great one. Then you got a great one. Rocky Three is, is a popcorn movie. It's self-aware. It's self-referential. It's got comedy and gaga and ha-ha. Because that matches where Stallone was in his career. Mr. T's not a fully fledged character. But the thing about Mr. T is he's right. I've beaten. Everybody is there there is to beat. And I can't get what's rightfully mine. What I've earned. You were from the gutter and you earned all of this wealth. I'm from the gutter. It's my time now. And this white champion and this old white man is holding me down, not because I'm no good. The underdog is refusing to give other underdogs a chance because his fights are rigged. They're setups. Whoo! He's right. Mr. T is right. Clubber Lang is right in that movie, but he's a piece of shit. But he's evil. It's corrupted him. He has the truth, but he's corrupted. Jonathan Majors is not Clubber Lang part due. I mean, he kind of is, but they're not like, it's Clubber Lang Jr. It's not what he is. He is a more fully fledged heel. Um, and he kills it. He's not, he can't miss, uh, I thought, I thought he was the best part of Ant-Man. He's better in this than he is in Ant-Man because the better Rocky movies and Creed movies, and even the not good ones, are dramas, mostly. More than sports movies, they're dramas. So because of that, he's given, I'll put it like this, uh, he, at, he out-acts Michael B. Jordan to his face. 
And you can feel the actor, performer, Michael B. Jordan, having to push himself as an actor to rise, to get to the level of Jonathan Majors. The movie almost doesn't feel believable or credible until we delve into his character. And if there is a setback to the film, there are a few. One of them, which I will talk about now in the non-spoiler section, I will very quickly transition to spoilers. I gave you the galaxy brain ramble. The thing that bothers, the thing that holds the movie back um, is that there's a pivot for the, for the character. There's a pivot for Jonathan Major's character. And at a certain point, and this happens in all these movies, but because except for actually Creed 2, which is also the one I have problems with. So maybe they learn from, they learn from Creed 2 and we're like, eh, doesn't really work, right? Because it feels split. It feels like we're split between Drago and, and uh, Ivan and Victor Drago, I think are their names. Drago and Drago Jr. And Rocky and Apollo, right? And and Rocky and Adonis, rather, and Apollo's looming shadow. Like, there, there's... That, that's the story. Fathers and sons. Fathers and sons. Surrogate father, surrogate son. <clears throat> Rocky's guilt, Adonis's rage, yada, yada, yada. Um, Drago's feelings of failure, feelings of failing his country, and his son's feeling like he could never live up to his father's expectations. Okay, cool. Got it. But we keep flipping back and forth. And what you end up with is like, well... <coughs> If you're going to show me a super rich guy, and the guy who ain't got shit, I'm probably going to side with the guy who ain't got shit. Who's not a bad guy. He may be bad-tempered, but you, you sympathize more with the heel, which kind of neuters that movie a little bit because you're kind of like, hmm, that's just kind of a piece of shit. Like, so I think they learned that lesson, which is my major complaint of that movie. And so now we're trying to make... Adonis, the ultimate baby face, which, of course, if you're also directing the movie, you're going to make yourself the ultimate baby face. So because of that, when when Major's character really gets steam in the narrative, he disappears. And we're told things about him. Well, uh, uh, Dame Anderson, Damien Anderson, a.k.a. Dame, Diamond Dame is doing this. And Diamond Dame has said that. And Diamond Dame is doing this and that, whatever. All off screen. And I'm like, mm. when, 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 when Clever Lang, Mr. T, shows up to the press conference when Rocky's announcing his retirement at the steps of the Philadelphia Museum, and he says, hey, woman, hey, woman, I bet you like to be with a real man. I bet, you like, I, I bet, I bet it's been a long time since you've been with a real man. Why don't you come over to my place tonight? And I'll show you what it's like to be with a real man. That disparagement is public. Mr. T, I don't know if it's like they did a better job because Mr. T, again, is not really a character. I think Dame, in some ways, is given more of an internal life. But then there's all this shit that he's supposedly doing. We don't, we don't see it. And I think the, the movie struggles, as a lot of the Rocky and Creed movies do, of how do we balance all this? Because the further we go, we've got Duke Jr., you know, Duke's son. What's going on in his life? What's going on at the gym? What's going on in Adonis' uh, professional life? What's going on with him as a per in a personal life? He's an aging boxer now, which is just crazy to think about. Watch these movies so goddamn long that now Adonis Creed is too old. What the fuck? And also they're playing with the timeline. They jump ahead uh, in these Creed movies. So he, he's actually older than he's, he is. So I was like, we did the math. I'm like, it's only been eight fucking years. Now, again, boxers' careers are pretty short, especially when you're jumping weight classes and things like that. But still... Um, it's like, it doesn't feel like we should be at this part of his story, but they're jumping timelines, right? This kid was just born a couple years ago. It's like Rocky to Rocky four or, the, or to Rocky four, Rocky five, where the kid goes from eight to 15, that kind of shit. So, you know, it's like, what fuck year is this? Is this 2050 in this movie? Um, but still, um, when you do that, it's like, okay, we got to catch up with that. We got to catch up with Marianne. Where's she at? What's going on? What's her life like? We've got to catch up with Bianca. And, and, and really, it's like the problem is that they've written too many characters and they've written too many compelling characters throughout the history of these, this film franchise. 
or people with the potential to be compelling, which is, by the way, an incredible problem to have. There aren't very many movies, let alone series, that are nine movies in where it's like, you know what? That Bianca is just too much of an actual person. That's the problem with the script. Like, what a great fucking problem to have. So we have to divide our attention there. Somebody somewhere is going to suffer. So I think a major's character, Damon, Diamond Dame, suffers the most. If you can't tell from the excitement in my voice <clears throat> and the asthma in my chest, um, I like the movie. I, I I'm not in a place to be able to say Creed is heads and tails the best of this franchise and one of the best movies in the entire series. But of this offshoot franchise, this trilogy now, Creed is the standard bearer, bar none. It's a toss-up between two and three. Um, I would argue I think the highs are higher in two, but the lows are lower in two as well. And this is a more stable movie. doesn't get as high. doesn't get anywhere near as low as far as character and quality and stuff like that, story-wise. Much stronger story. It is more or less the story of Killmonger. Um, and T'Challa. And if you want to know more, you have to listen to spoilers. We are now in spoiler territory, so if you don't want to hear the movie or plot points of the movie, turn back now, come back after you've seen it. Um, Donald Creed finds himself in aging, aged, elderly, millennial world heavyweight champion. He's actually the unified world heavyweight champion. He was the light heavyweight champion in one of these movies at some point. But he is now the unified world heavyweight champion. For those who don't know, there hasn't been a world unified world heavyweight champion in in our timeline, probably like 20 years, I want to say. Something, you know, 15, 20, maybe 25, maybe 30 years. I don't I don't know. But um all of the there's been a huge fracturing in boxing of all these federations. So there has been multiple world heavyweight champions and it's diluted boxing. And it's more or less one of the things that kind of killed the sport. Partially, yes, it's UFC, which tends to be more exciting, but it's also the fact that there is no definitive world's best. You, you know, when you're world heavyweight champion in this country and somebody else is world heavyweight champion with that federation, somebody else is world heavyweight champion with this federation, that who, who's actually the best? So it killed marquee attractional boxing. And it's been brought back by YouTubers, of all things. But anyway, um, so in this storyline, he's somehow unified the world titles, and he's the unified world champion. He retires as the unified world champion. And then I think we flash forward more time. And when we flash forward more time, because at some point in the movie, they're like, you, 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 well, you've been retired for three years. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I think from the moment we see him retire... To the moment he's playing with his daughter, it's been three years. Mm. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Um. So, um, he is training this, this young fighter named Felix. His mom looks really familiar to me. Um, and this kid is now the new world heavyweight champion. When did he win it? Who is he? What's his background? Doesn't really matter. Not a character. Adonis is essentially like the CEO mogul Oscar De La Hoya promoter type where he's training boxers out of the Delphi gym, which is also known as, uh, I don't even know if it's actually Delphi. They end up calling it something else. It's like uh, Adonis Creed athletics or something like that. So, but maybe it's Delphi Gym, but that's his company's name where he's, prom he's a promoter and manager and trainer and all this sort of stuff. It was just kind of realistic. The worst parts of Michael B. Jordan's performance is him ironically trying to be a celebrity mogul. I don't believe any of it. It's so weird. It rings so false. But Michael B. Jordan is a celebrity mogul. So I don't know why he can't play that part. It just, it rings. There's a, there's a scene where he has to do like, he's like, I don't care what they say. Da, 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 da. And he mentions Drago. His guy is supposed to fight Victor Drago. I think pretty sure it's Victor. Victor Drago in a fight for the World Unified World Heavyweight Championship. 
in this big to do. So we're calling the uh, yeah, this big to do. And um, uh, um, I, I'm trying to think they're all the fucking time jumps. Go, he's going outside the gym, arguing over money and stuff, and arguing with people in Drago's camp. And uh, Jonathan Majors <clears throat> is out there. And the movie actually opens up with their childhood. And they were like brothers. They met in a group home, uh, foster home or for kids. And um, um, Dame was basically a big brother to him. I looked out for him and kept him from getting beat up. And essentially everything we've seen of a This is an interesting wrinkle. Everything we've seen of Adonis's life, they were all the dreams and aspirations of Dame. Very much like T'Challa and uh, Eric Killmonger. Except for, imagine if those two characters grew up together. Weren't just like biological cousins, but were like blood brothers. Were like, grew up together as if they were brothers. And so before Marianne, before he even knew he was a creed, this, he had a relationship with this guy. And he was, Dame was the boxer. Damien was the boxer. Damien was a Golden Glove, Gloves winner. Damien was one of the best youth boxers in the country. Damien, but Damien, growing up, the difficulty he did is a little bit of a street guy, but everything we see of him is he seems like actually a good kid just trying to navigate his way through the world. Right. We don't, he's, we don't see him do bad stuff other than he's got some priors for fighting and whatnot. And we do see that he has a gun, which is your base. And he like gives Apollo money. He like tries to help him out. He's taking care of him. And, they run into one of the foster parents or p- people who worked in this halfway house for the kids who used to, it's ambiguous as to what he did in the beginning. So you think, well, maybe it was a sexual assault or physical assault or both. I think the movie just sort of definitively says he physically beat them. I don't know if there's more to infer from there, but he beat them both. And we know that Adonis has got a temper and, <coughs> By this point, Marianne is in his life and he's sneaking out to continue to support Dame and hang out with him. And, and he's kind of living in both worlds, right? He's living in a big, nice house and going to be a part of the street life a little bit. And they run into this guy outside of a liquor store. And after Dame wins a big fight and that used to beat on him and, and Adonis does what Donis does, and he beats the shit out of him and goes crazy and almost kills him. And it's some other people come up, and they start roughing up Adonis, and that's when Dame shows up with a gun. The cops show up, come to find out later in the movie, and Adonis ran, and because Dame was older and he had priors, he went to prison. He ends up serving 18 years in prison for, like, attempted murder and some other stuff. And the whole assault, everything, the, every, all of it gets blamed on him. And he loses everything. He goes from being the highest, one of the highest ranked youth Golden Gloves boxers in history to literally getting out of prison having nothing. Nothing. And he's this very, like, charming, very um, like good-hearted kid. And when he comes out as Jonathan Majors, he's jacked to the gills, first and foremost. But he's also like an animal. He reminds me a little bit of, um, oh my gosh, not Tom Hardy, the Punisher. Um, oh God. I'm going to get there. I'm Googling. No, I guess it is Tom Hardy. Shit. <laughs> Um, yeah, he reminds me a little bit of Tom Hardy and Warrior. <clears throat> he's Tom Hardy and Warrior, but with a less noble purpose. And he's a little bit like um, Shane from The Walking Dead. What's his name? You know who I'm talking about. Always rubs the back of his head, plays the Punisher. Has a podcast. It's Kurt Angle's nephew-in-law. Shit. Whatever. You know who I'm talking about. He behaves like that. Like he's got like this twitch. He's got like this. There's this. He's a he's a predator. He's an animal. He has been dehumanized 
by his experience, and he has come out as nothing but pure rage. And he runs into Adonis. He's obviously there to see him. And uh, Adonis big big times him a little bit. And it's like, you know, I'm going to give you an autograph, but you get off my car. It's in the trailer. And, you know, because Adonis sometimes is a, like, sometimes is a piece of shit. And then he recognizes him. He's like, man, you don't recognize me. He calls him a little, like, little Donnie or something like that. Little D. And he's like, Dame? Dame is this dirty secret that he's told no one in his life about. Marianne obviously knew. All of this trauma, this abuse, this physical abuse, him running away as a, from a, as a coward, fucking over his friend, never calling him, never checking on him, never visiting him, never acknowledging this guy was ever a part of his life at all, period. Um is kind of <laughs> rotten. And so he feels guilt. And and he's like <coughs> Dame just like, look, I'm around, you know, I'm on probation, I'm around, I want to keep my nose clean. Um, if you ever want to get together sometime, catch up, I love to catch up. And Thomas is like, Well, what are you doing right now? He's like, nothing. And he's like, I was just gonna go back to the house, the crib. And he's like, Okay, let's go get something to eat. And I sit down, they have the meal. And he's like, you're super famous. Like, you you can eat like a regular person in restaurants. He's like, sometimes. There's a lot of things I used to be able to do I can't do anymore, you know, and the trappings of fame and wealth and that sort of stuff. And um, Adonis is living an extraordinarily opulent lifestyle. And Bianca has gone on to become a multi-gold album award-winning producer because she's had continued hearing loss and can no longer perform because of it. So she is producing instead because she can she can't risk losing any more of her hearing. So that's a nice like continuation from the first movie. And she's a little bit broken because of it because she she can't be the one on stage and it's not just the creation of it, it's the performance of it. It's not the accolades, it's the act of performing that she loves. And we saw that about her her character. Now she can't do it anymore. Um so she's had success and she's kind of the major breadwinner now and he's just kind of a stay-at-home dad and he's like he's running the promotion game. But it's, he's on dad duty a lot, which is nice to see as well. And he's like, what's the plan? And they flash over to like a notebook. And he's got, Dame's got a notebook. And says like Dame Anderson. And they make kind of a big deal about this notebook. And I'm going to tell you what I think it is after I get to what the twist of this movie is. I thought it was going to be a heavier twist. I know why they didn't do it, but I thought it was going to be a heavier twist. And he's like, same plan. Same thing you heard from me 18 years ago. He's like, which is? He's like, I want to box. I want to be the world heavyweight champion. And, he, and, he, and so keep in mind, in this plot, Adonis has had to retire because he's too old. <clears throat> this guy's even older than him. hasn't fought in 20 years. Not as a, as a boxer. Unranked. So he's like, kind of hard to do, buddy. You know, like, you're old. And he's like, yeah, but I never got a chance. Like, I was the best. <clears throat> I never got a chance to prove it. I don't have anything else. This is what I want to do. And he's like, okay. Tries to give him some money. <coughs> Great interaction between the two of them. I won't take the money. And he's like, okay. How about like, basically like, how about a spot at the gym? You come by Delphi. You have a place in a gym. And he gets him to be a sparring partner for Felix, who is the current world heavyweight champion. And he does it, but he's obviously like, he's like a caged animal. And so things go sideways. And he essentially says to uh, Adonis, look, I want, I, I, I don't think you heard me correctly. I don't think you understood me. I want to be the world champion. I want to challenge the world champion. I don't want to be world champion one day. He's like, the clock is already ticking on me. I don't have time to get there. I don't have time to work for it. He's like, but you have to, you have to earn it. Da, 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 da. He's like, like you did. Because Adonis is like, you just can't just, this is like, I'm conflating multiple conversations. But, you know, he's like, you can't just be an unranked fighter, be pulled from obscurity and be given a chance at the title. And he's like, you mean like what happened to you? And it's like, you know, and, he's, and I think he either, I think he even brings it up too. He's like, and you mean like what your old man did for with Rocky? 
you know? So, and I wanted them to really nail that and they just kind of bypass it. And then it comes up again through a different character. I wanted them to really nail that of like, now, wait a minute. Your dad gave an underdog a chance who didn't deserve it. Who was over the hill. He ended up being Rocky Balboa, one of the greatest world heavyweight champions of all time. That guy gave you a chance when you were unranked and you were an underdog and you've gone on to be one of the greatest world heavyweight champions of all time. But you won't give me the same chance. You're going to break the line when it comes to me. Somebody who did your time for you. Somebody you fucked over. They don't go that far with it. But like, I wanted them to tie that together just a little bit more. <clears throat> and um, he's like, you, you know, I'm going to do what I can do. Like I told you I'd help you. I'll help you. But you're asking for the impossible. The fight is set. The fight is Drago, who he's in Felix. And both like Felix is the crown jewel of his promotion. And Drago and him, later we come to find out, have become competitive friendlies, which is uh, nice to see. Because essentially the uh, it was <laughs> seemed like it was we were going to the third movie was going to be Drago getting a shot to be a world champion. And they obviously went with this complete other character. So it's like, it was nice to see him come back in. And so uh, Bianca has a label party for one of her artists and they invite Dame and Dame comes out and somebody at the party starts a fight. This is a few weeks before, a few months before the uh, fight's supposed to happen. And uh, between Felix and, and Drago and they Tanya Harding, Drago, break his hand. A criminal breaks his hand. Bam. And there's nobody else. And they got, Tanya says, so much money sunk into this. And so much, there's so much pressure. And the kid's mom's like, look, as a boxer, which is very true, you've only got a short window to actually make prime money. We can't wait another six months for Drago maybe to be back to 100%. We need to fight now because we need a payday now, which is very true, too. Because the other thing is all the time that you're preparing and training, you're in training camps, you're paying all those people. And you're typically paying them off of, especially if you're world heavyweight champion, off of the money you've made from your purses from your previous fights. And so there are fighters who've been world heavyweight champion who've actually lost money being world heavyweight champion, have actually like gained, like are in the hole because of it. Same thing happens in um, UFC to this day. Um. Because you have to hire nutritionists, you have to hire uh, multiple coaches, you have to hire sparring coach and conditioning this and this and that, whatever. And you have to have doctors and license and insurances and all this sort of shit, gym time. None of that's free. And so you have to pay for that all up front. So um, they've sunk a lot of money into this. Everybody's kind of over a barrel. And he's like, I got a wild idea. Why don't we do what my old man did? And we give Dame an underdog. This kid from L.A., you know, underdog story, give him a chance. And Dame goes in there and he cheap shots and he street fights a little bit and he plays dirty and he does prison brawl shit. And then he boxes and just beats the shit and nearly kills the world heavyweight champion. And this is another missed opportunity because that's how your fucking father died. His dad died that way. And they kind of play into it a little bit, but I felt like that's another note you could have, you should have played and you missed it. I get that you want to get beyond the Adonis part of it, but it's all about past trauma. Your father died this way. And we're almost watching it happen again. It's a very quickly just sort of moved on from, which means Dame is now the world heavyweight champion. And he, <coughs> he goes to see Marion after the fight. And Marianne pulls in all these letters because Damon's like, I wrote to you. You didn't get any of my letters. He's like, no, I never got them. Marianne was intercepting them and was preventing him from getting them because she wanted him to have a life of his own. And throughout the movie, we've learned that she's had strokes in the past and is, you know, they're worried about her, which, you know, she's going to die. Uh, that's what all that means. If somebody in the Rocky movies like coughs, they're dead or they're going in a coma. And then, or they're going to coma and then they're going to die. Um, so she brings out the letters and she's like, he's like, this guy's always been there for me. He's been there, been, me, been there for me before you. How dare you hold these letters back? Like all of this, everything that happened, 
happened because of you. If you just told me the truth, you know, I never contacted him. I never reached out to him, blah, 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 blah. Like he needed me. I wasn't there for him. He was, there was a time in my life. He was the only person that was there for me before you even knew I existed. And I love this particular moment. This was another moment they hit well. And he goes, which is more than I could say for the other two kids that lived in this house or your other two children who lived in this house. Cause all the time I'm like, Creed, the Creeds have, have kids. I think there used to be two sons and a boy or two sons and a daughter, but he says two. So maybe it's just a son and a daughter. We've seen them a couple of times. <coughs> Never addressed in the Creed movies. Never addressed. And it's still now. And basically it's like, they don't have anything to do with me because they've never accepted me as their son they've, or their brother, rather, unlike him, unlike Dame. And she's like, you think Dame is still has your back, but you don't see the truth. You don't see what's right in front of your face at this time. He's not coming to have your back. He's coming to take every, everything from you. And she pulls out in one of the letters. He sent a, had a, sent him a photo of like his cellmates or his like uh, uh, people he was friends with in prison, and the guy who did the Tanya Harding, do do do, it's a guy he knows from prison, which is very obvious. But I thought was what was going to be revealed about that journal because we see we even see him like scribbling it and stuff. Was that he cooked up this entire scheme while he was in prison? He watches the rise of Adonis and like single white female. He systematically is studying him to target him, prey upon his guilt, systematically break him down. Because he does play mind games. He plays mind games. He plants seeds of doubt with Bianca. He fucks with his family a little bit. He fucks with Donnie's head a little bit here and there. So I'm thinking, oh, this guy's like a psycho stalker, like <clears throat> um, Cape Fear, single white female thriller kind of villain. It's really interesting. We've never had that in the, like this sort of series. And they kind of play those notes, but because they ultimately sort of want to redeem his character, you can't make him fool like, I've been stalking you for 18 years and I planned your downfall. Like, I, you can't make him full-blown Killmonger. Because, like, Apollo didn't kill this guy's dad. The kid just pulled a gun and because he had priors, he got in trouble because of it, right? Like, <clears throat> it is what it is. So anyway, he flips on him completely. And, the, and the, so, you know, he he blames Marianne, and he goes and he finds him, I don't know how, partying at a beach with a bunch of fucking strangers and gangsters. And he's like, I, I'm the world heavyweight champ. I told you, I told you when you know, we were kids, I told you. And he was like, how many, t you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's basically like, I, I came back to take everything away from you. You weren't there for me. I'm not going to be there for you. And he just, he, and he like punches him. And he's like, why don't you pick yourself up for once in your life? Which is a great line. Uh, and he's just like an animal. And then he's like a completely, he's like still an animal, but we see the, the flashes of the charisma he had as a kid, but it's all directed towards hatred towards him. He's like, you got the house, you got the wife, you have everything. How did it feel for you to steal everything that was mine while I was doing your time? I took your punishment and you got the life I was supposed to have, the life I wanted. I told you about my dreams. He had a dream to have another thriller in Manila, rumble in the jungle type situation. And Adonis did that as his retirement. Took his dream match as his retirement, which is what really set him off. And he's like, you got the jungle match. That was my idea. And he's completely right. And he does, he calls him baby Creed, which of course he hates. Fake Creed, like maybe your old man was a real champion, but you know, you're just you're just a coward. You just run you run away. Run away. It's the only thing you're good at anymore. You've been retired, you're soft, you're weak, all this sort of shit. So <clears throat> When you know it, Marianne has another stroke and she dies. And it's a both poignant scene and kind of silly and both how it's performed and how it's written. Because she's like, she's talking to him. And I said, I'm going to tear up. So it worked. That's my review. She's like, she's talking to him as Adonis. And then as she's fading... Oh, these stupid movies. She's, she starts calling him Apollo.
completely pass over her funeral. We see it, but it's almost, it's not really a montage, but it's like a series of flashes. Going back to what I said about Star Wars, there are all these moments where you watch it and you go, well, that's where Rocky should show up. And he does not show up in the funeral. And then there's like, the entire third, second half of the third act of this movie, you're like, well, that's where Rocky would show up. And you're also thinking to yourself, because they don't kill him. They don't even really mention him. They mention him in passing, but in past events, but they don't. And you're like, well, clearly he ends up at odds with his wife. He ends up at uh, odds with Duke because Duke the whole time is like, this guy's telling you who he is. Believe him. This isn't the guy you remember. This isn't your brother. This is a monster. His best friends come back into his life. That's complicated in of itself because it reminds him of the shitty thing he did as a kid. And where he came from, the trauma he experienced, that guy fucking turned on him. He's you know on the brink of divorce because they have all kind of family problems. Um, his relationship with his daughter is pretty strong throughout, but he has his mom's gone. The anchor of his life. Pick up the fucking phone and call Balboa. And that's where it's like, oh, well, the only reason he's not doing it is because Stallone has a contract dispute with the producers. There's no reason in the narrative he, he would not be like, he, he, he gets his Rocky Three training montage where it's like, there is no tomorrow. Basically, same thing. You know, he goes to this dusty old gym, brings the people back. Drago helps him train for the fight. Drago, whose hand was broken, has now been apparently six months, um, helps him train for the fight. Because, of course, he's going to come out of retirement to, drip, to beat Dame and become the world champion again. <laughs> and, um, and the hook there is, he's like, he's like, you know, he won't stop. He won't stop until he's taken everything I've earned away from me. And Bianca's like, then I guess there's only one thing you have to do. Now, earlier in the movie, she's advocating for nonviolence. And I think it'd be solved by punching somebody in the face, which is true. And I thought this movie was going to have the balls to... In the middle of the ring, he stops fighting him and like, it'd be so corny, but hugs him or some shit. Because there's a moment where after the second or third round, they're looking at each other and Dame is, this is where Majors is so good. Like the anger is giving away to hurt. And this is where the direction's very good. When Adonis looks at him, he doesn't see that monster. He sees the kid. He's just the he's just the kid on the stool. And I thought, well, clearly this is going to tie this whole narrative together because that's his character arc, which is like not everything not everything can be solved by beating it up because that's what he does against the guy. That's how he got into this mess. He beat a guy almost to death. Which totally makes sense, by the way. It's exactly where like where does rage come from? Like these, it's not just being the bastard child of Apollo Creed. It's like this kid suffered. So to, to delve into that's very smart. And so I'm thinking, okay, he lost his mom. He saw his this kid almost get this his kid this kid he's mentoring almost get killed in the middle of the ring, just like his pops. But Bianca's whole thing is like, you can't just fight your way through everything. Sometimes you have to just like basically go to fucking therapy. And he's like, oh, don't talk about my emotions. I just want to fight. So, you know, he has this emotional catharsis after his mom dies. He reconciles with Bianca. He opens up. He's like, I talking about feelings doesn't come easy to me. He tells her about his past. He talks about what he's experiencing on the inside and starts to try to let go. Of the, it's all about letting go of the anger. You got to let go of this anger. You got to let go of the guilt. You got to let go of all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, well, the real ending of this is that these two guys have, have got to bury it. And there's there he's with Stephen A. Smith and and at one point when he Stephen A. Smith is like well he's been burying in the media for months and months and months now because there's again time jumps right he's been burying in the media for months this is before the World Heavyweight Challenge and he's saying this he's saying that he's coming for it's yours what does that mean is he going to get his money in the bank is he going to expose him for being the one that beat that guy half to death like statute of limitations like we don't ever see it he's just He's just in the media talking shit about Apollo Creed or Adonis Creed, who's already by Stephen A. Smith. Like, you've been retired for three years. He's already been retired for three years. Who gives a shit? 
Uh, Adonis Creed is on the is a Ralph Lauren model in suits. We see the billboards. He's full Rocky from Rocky Three, right? Multi-millionaire, Ralph Lauren model. Like they bring all that shit back. Just update it. Bianca's not gonna stop being a world-class producer because some guy who got a prison is talking shit about you. I didn't understand that. That's where it fell a little bit short. And it's also like, I can't solve my problems with fighting, but I'm gonna have to beat the shit out of my childhood brother which he does eventually they beat the shit out of each other and the final fight goes there's there's some anime stuff for sure even in the first fight it's very almost like Zack Snyder-esque and that didn't really work all speed up slow down Superman sort of shit and it kind of works but kind of doesn't work uh it's a little over the top but their other fight rather than do a montage at one point the whole arena goes empty and these two guys are duking it out and it almost becomes like an interpretive dance. There is this interpretive music that's playing. That's mostly just sounds of like people breathing and some chanting and maybe, maybe a little percussion, but it's, it's very like interpretive dancey, but it's just these two guys with extremely tight, hard hitting choreography. And then it gets very metaphorical where like he punches Adonis, Adonis hits the ropes and the ropes become a prison cell. Like they become the bars. I don't know how to explain it other than it gets real trippy. And then he fights back. Bah, 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 bah. And he fights back and it's he's pounding on um Dame. And it's like Dame is getting beat in the halfway house again. And I'm like, so it's like clearly the the, the it's literalizing in a sense. This fight is not about the World Heavyweight Championship. It's about these two guys and their trauma. Again, the solution to all of this is they just be like, if the movie had balls, it would be for him, and people would roll their eyes and probably hate it. But the solution is him to stop the fucking fight and apologize and hug. And here's the thing. I think Stallone, old school Stallone, would have found a way. Even if that meant like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. And if you want to kill me in the middle of this ring, you're going to have to kill me. But you're my brother. Like, you know what I mean? And you could just like, bam, bam, bam. And then like, he would break down and he would cry. Like, you could change. Anybody could change. You know, it's like, I feel like the movie is, it's, it's missing Rocky. He never shows up, which is uh, ill-fated. At the very least, there's, a, there's some scenes where he's training where it's like, you could have, like, Adonis will say, like, one, like, they're, they're very clearly, like, respectful towards Stallone. And there's a lot of stuff where it's very, very clear that Adonis is, is teaching the lessons that, Rock, like, verbatim that Rocky taught him. And one punch at a time, one step at a time, one round at a time. All that stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, pick up the fucking phone call. <laughs> or in your head, Fucking pay Stallone for the use of his voice for the shit he's already recorded from one of the other movies when this kid's down and out. You know, just put, you own this shit. Just, just pull it from one of the other creeds. That's what I thought was going to happen. It doesn't happen. Um, and obviously, Adonis wins. Rocky never shows up. Marianne's dead. Um, Bianca, there's a whole subplot with the daughter that's okay. Um, they're very clearly setting up the daughter as the next Creed. Like we're going to get probably more of these movies and there'll probably be a time jump or we'll wait 10 years and it'll be like the second generation of Creed. So Adonis will be the Rocky and he's teaching his daughter behind Bianca's back to fight, but Bianca doesn't know it. And the daughter wants to fight, but in the end, Bianca maybe knows the daughter wants to fight, and Bianca, who's tired of fighting and wants nonviolence, wants him to kick the guy's ass. And but also, if he kicks the guy's ass, how's that going to solve the problem? The guy talking shit about him because now you just stole the world heavyweight. And at one point, I was just like, "Oh, somebody was like, nobody could take away what you've earned." And I'm just thinking, wait, so this whole thing is just so that this guy can hold on to his fucking money, like? They play, it's like they play fast and lose with it. Play fast and lose with it. And if you, if, you, if you strain too long, it doesn't work that well. You're like, wait a minute. But because of powerful performances, some bold direction choices, and some good old-fashioned babyface 
heel heat getting heel uh tactics the movie ultimately worked for me i would give it a strong three and a half stars i could be convinced to give it a four i would really if i could have my druthers give it a 3.75 i liked it it's strong it should be the end <laughs> unless stallone wants to come back um but now we're in this place where if they bring him back, it's probably just to kill him. So it's like, fuck, just don't do it. Because Stallone has said, hey, my issue's not with Ryan Coogler. It's not with uh, Michael B. Jordan. I'm glad he's directing. I like those guys. It's the producer. And he's like, I don't think I can be a, I can't be a part of it as long as that guy's a part of it. But he's got producer rights. So Stallone ha- is given pr- a producer credit in the movie. Executive producer. Um, which I don't know if he's legally obligated to be named that or if that was a make good um by kugler and and jordan michael b jordan um he makes bold choices as a director he does some different stuff i kind of liked it um like all these movies it's a bit soap opera-y and some of that's not going to work for you um it's it's fallen beneath the tier of creed and beneath the tier of the better rocky movies but i would say it's in the tier of good rocky movies so Maybe, arguably, now nine movies deep, the strongest franchise of all time. So, uh, recommend it. I've talked long enough. Until next time, Ben John.